Welcome to The Counter Offer. I am your host, Susanna Gray-Jones, recruitment strategist and owner of Chime Search. It is my belief that it's simply not worth being a mediocre recruiter. Recruiting is tough, and it is my mission to make sure that you get all the best tricks and use the daily rituals to be the highest earning billers to become exceptional recruiters. So tune in and learn the secrets that the elite don't want you to know. Today, my co-host Luke Smith and I are excited to introduce Amy Morris. Amy Morris has spent the last 18 years in recruitment and is currently the UK Managing Director at Oakleaf Partnership. Oakleaf are a global specialist recruiter within HR, change and transformation industry and listed as a great place to work in 2023. They're also featured in the Recruiter Top 100. Being a senior female, Amy is very passionate about equality for women and hosts a podcast for Oakley particularly focused on this. As a woman advocate for women in recruitment, I am really excited to introduce Amy today. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. I know I've been trying to track you down for ages. You're an experienced podcaster. Uh, can you tell our audience at uh, the counter offer a bit about you as an sort of introduction, if that's all right? Of course. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for having me on. So I did the very traditional falling into recruitment. I never kind of dreamt of being a recruiter when I was a child. I kind of dreamt of all the other stereotypical jobs that females dream of, but ended up in recruitment. I finished university and wanted a bit of structure. I'd love to say I wanted this big career, but I think at the time I just wanted a bit of structure and purpose and went to a recruitment agency to say, can I register to get a job? And they said, why don't you do recruitment? And that was kind of how it all started. And I started at Randstad, big corporate organization, phenomenal training ground. But I got to a point where I wanted to do something a bit different and think a bit differently, have a little bit more agility around how we were doing things, what we were doing. And Oakleaf was pretty much a startup in Leeds, which is where I was at the time. And I completely fell in love with the people. So Oakleaf is where I went and started off doing all interim HR recruitment from in very typical suburban businesses style, everything in the north, which was Watford to Aberdeen. So had a pretty big patch to cover in that market. Anyway, that's where we went to. But global financial crisis happened in 2008, changed everything. And I moved down to London. And I think that's where I really, really recognized that I wanted to make a career out of what I was doing. And it wasn't just about making money. And there was a real drive in me to make it worth moving down to London. I'm northern absolutely by heart. And if I was going to be in London and in the South, I was going to make the most of it from a career perspective. So started off on the management route. And love the fact that I can claim that most of my first management roles were actually roles that never existed at Oakley before. And I think that's a real trait of mine that I like to do things a bit differently. I like to do things the way that I think they, that I want to do them that's very authentic to me. And love the fact that I had the opportunity at Oakley. I won't bore you with all the middle details, but ultimately mm. fast-tracked the way of my career, taking on different teams, building different teams, starting them up and looking um, into them across the board. And then started to go onto the senior leadership teams, learned how to sit on a senior leadership team, made many mistakes, which I learned from in terms of what to say, what not to say, how open to being, and all the influencing piece around that. Then got appointed to the board, which was complete step change in terms of 
how I operated as an individual, how I understood how Oakleaf worked, the commercial understanding, the strategic understanding of the business. And then most recently, in April last year, I was appointed the UKMD of our Oakleaf business and then took a new business line that we have TCT under my wing in October last year. And I think that nice. pretty much takes up to date. I will just yeah. mention a bit about me as well. So outside of my corporate job, that's the right word to use, I actually in COVID became a trustee for a charity called the Transformation Autism Project. I have a, a stepson who's autistic, and so it's a personal passion, I suppose, of mine just to make sure that life is easier for those that are on the spectrum. But that really did create a different angle to how to operate on a board. Being on a mm. recruitment board is very different than being on a charitable board. And I also do some mentor work with a business called Wix, which is women in telco, media and tech. Wow. So you're, it would be fair to say you're, you're pretty busy, right? <laughs> Lots on. It's interesting what you said actually about the charity board stuff that you're doing, because I'm also on a charity board and it's interesting, isn't it, to see how they run differently. And I don't know if you find this, but I can learn a bit from the charity side and from the recruitment side. But one thing that you said really stuck with me there. You said you went to London and there was a moment where you were like, this is my career. Um, yes. What moment was that? Was there a defining moment? I don't think there was one one piece or one moment that happened. I think it was a series of events around starting to be part of bigger conversations around Oakleaf. So I moved from a regional office, which was quite insular, and it was almost like messages were passed up and that's just what you did and you just almost did what you were told almost. Whereas when I moved to London, I started to see how all of the jigsaw pieces were coming together and I was like, this is really interesting. I really like this. And yeah. then, so therefore, entering into a new business or opening up a new account or moving an account from one sector to another sector, it became a bigger piece as opposed to just hitting a bit more number on your bottom line, which don't get me wrong, is equally important and was motivational for me when I was in my early 20s. We all want to make commission in recruitment. Yeah. But I think it became a slightly more interesting concept around um, looking at a bigger, more sustainable longer term activity as opposed to just being a while. What a great message, actually, to many leaders out there. The fact that you felt account, you were able to have a say in the senior decisions made you feel like this was a career. And I wonder how many people are out there who potentially leave recruitment because they're working for such big companies and they don't feel invested because they don't have that say in what's going on above, right? Yeah, it's massive, yeah. Loops are going to be like, is Sue's going to let me get a word in today? But <laughs> I, before, I, before, like, I wanted to get a quote out there because I see that you're all over LinkedIn. I've seen you as a very inspirational person because of your podcast, Women Leadership, and as an advocate for women in recruitment. There are statistics out there that are quite scary. And one in particular that I saw literally only last week was that data from LinkedIn found that just one in four C-suite positions are held by women. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were on that and whether you thought that there's a reason or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's very sad and I'm actually surprised it's not more than one in four, to be honest. I think it's sad that there isn't that diversity of thought and inspiration for women coming up through. I like the quote, you can't be what you, don't, you can't see. And I don't think it necessarily applies exactly in our world now because that you can be inspired through different ways as opposed to that person just being straight above you. But I do think that 
it's very difficult for women sometimes when they don't want to follow the path exactly the way the male has to try and think outside the box and be creative and feel confident enough to have that conversation with their employers to say, I can't do this in a way that you have done this previously, but I can do it in this way and it will still get the same outcome. Or actually, maybe a better outcome, but maybe that's me being a bit, a bit naughty. And I don't think that happens enough. I think there's lots of other reasons. There's loads of statistics around women leaving the workplace after maternity, typically leaving mid-management, and then they take a long extended period out. And when they come back in, it's hard to catch up. The women typically do more home care support. So they typically do be the carer or something needs to happen when in the family it is typically more the woman that, that steps back. I think that's changing a bit. I think COVID's flexible yeah. outcome has helped, but it's long-term and you don't get to C-suite overnight. So whilst the things are changing now, it takes a while for that to come up through. Yeah. I think that's true. I think it's I think it's sad and I don't know whose fault it is or whether it's anyone's particular fault, but I've got a client at the moment who says, we're really struggling, Suze, to get more women in leadership. What can they do? You know, you've got a great balance there at Oakley. What can leaders do to draw in more women and get them feeling like they can succeed more? I think it's absolutely about creating the right culture. No? It's all very well saying we need to hire women. We have mandates. We need a woman or we need a man or whatever. We actually get more that we need a man in HR than we need a woman because in HR it's typically yeah. the And that's great. But how are you going to make sure that they're effective? How are you going to set them up for success? Because if your culture isn't aligned to difference, then you're not going to find the person actually really fits in. And I did a podcast with Emma Jane Broadway and her whole mantra is around this concept of her business that she set up is around creative environments where actually difference really works and difference excels. For me personally at Oak Thief, and look, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and there's still tons of work that we need to do. But my biggest pledge is around creating a platform where everybody, but as we're talking about women, feel like they can have the conversation around how they can be effective in a slightly different model than maybe historically we have been because it has been traditionally more male dominated at our C-suite. And I think that is the first piece that needs to happen. It's creating a safe environment where you're not going to be judged it's not going to get held against you. It's not going to get brought up when suddenly you're not delivering. That actually means that we can create more ways of doing things. It shouldn't all be on me. As the leader, it shouldn't be all on the employee. It's a two-way conversation. But what is on me is to create a safe space for that conversation to happen. Mm. I'm so it's glad. Funny. It's, and, sorry, Suzanne, I'm going to cut you off there. It's funny, Amy. I was thinking about, I work with many search firms and they've come to me in the last probably 18 months, probably since COVID. And they're like, we need a female anything. And I said, okay. And they said, Luke, if you brought me a partner billing 700K a year and you brought me a, an associate partner or another partner billing 300K a year and she was female, we'd take the female. And no. I'm like, okay. I, and then no, they do that all the time. It's, you'd know this, Amy. And I asked them why, obviously. And they're like, well, it's not about we want diversity of thought or we want a more gender balance or if we're male dominated, we need to change. It's about when we go to pitch, one of the first questions is what's yeah. your gender ratio within your business? So we're losing out on pitches. I said, so, it, so, so you're doing it to look better from a client perspective only. And I just think, I kind of get up and just think, 
completely the wrong way to look at it. They should be looking internally first. And then like, I've always worked for myself, so I'm large. I'm out of this. Yeah, but I just think it's a bit soulless. As in, you're only doing this now. You bang on about it on your websites, but yet you don't carry through with it. That's what you mm. say. And you talk about your clients and the people that you're placing. But I think the tables have been turned. But search firms are still doing it because they're doing it for the wrong reasons, I think. That makes sense, which is concerning. Completely. And I think there's nothing like feeling like you're being wheeled out because you happen to be a female or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not idiots. We're perfectly aware that this is exactly what's happening. Yeah. I think the question that people need to ask is not how many women you have in senior positions or whatever that, that bracket that they're looking for is. Yeah. How long are they staying? How successful are they being? Are they living and breathing your culture? And if you don't have that, it's almost that you need to take the inward look first and say, well, why don't you? Because mm. I've said this to many clients, I'm sure you two exactly say, but I didn't ever find you that person. Of course, it just might take a little bit longer. It might take a little bit more influencing. But are they actually going to be right for you? And the example that you've given, Luke, is this clearly quite not right. And no. I'm going to stay and people are going to see through it. Yes. Which, of course. And that's right. I'm like, yeah. And how do you represent that? And it's just, it's a, you see it often. I think coming back to what you talked about, how I think since COVID, whilst it's not 50-50, men have got a lot more involved with the homework and it is more of a balance now because... It's, it, you don't have to be visible five days a week in the office. And I think they've recognized how difficult it is uh, to be at home. It, you almost come to work for a break, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> the easy part being at work, getting at home is, um, I find that anyway, personally. I also find, and this is sli- slightly off, off point here, I've found a lot of recruiters, recruitment owners, be it search or contingent, they value working mothers. They've got a great reputation because they come in they, and where I see it working is these, these shared desks. I've got a couple of clients where they, they'll have two people. They'll work three days and three days. They'll have one day crossover, so Wednesday. Mm. And they're phenomenal billers as a, and their commission will be like 1.2 of a normal consultant. So it's kind of prorated out that, and that they, and a lot of my clients say they're amazing because they're getting there and they know what they're doing and they work and mm. they value time and, it's funny now there's a few recruitment firms popping up where they're totally dedicated to mothers returning to work, be it part-time yeah. or a full-time capacity, mostly part-time for obvious reasons. But I think that's great. I think it is good. And the fact that it's been so well received. So things are changing for the better, I think. Yeah, I think there's also a whole piece around leadership does have a responsibility within the organization, but there's the other side where they almost over-celebrate it and they upset the women in the organization because they're like, today is a women's day and we're going to do a special thing here or let's talk about menopause and all those things. And the women are like, okay, now it's kind of becoming a thing that you're trying to do and it's not integral to the way that you act. A bit like what you're saying, but there is the side of imposter syndrome. Like I've spent lots of time over the last five years coaching women who don't have the confidence and where that comes from, like podcasts today. I'm so happy that we got you on it. I struggle to get women to be guests on podcasts, whereas I have a lot of men coming forwards and volunteering themselves <laughs> and all sorts. It's so interesting. I do hope that it is changing. And I hope that the next generation can look at around them and see more inspirational women and more women in general. But yeah, what advice do you have, Amy? Because a lot of people ask me this question. They say, I'm in boardrooms where there is full of men and... I don't 
feel like my voice is equal to the others, how can they get the confidence to speak up more? I think there's just one answer. I think it's about lots and lots of different things. I think for me, and I think this is very personal, just a, almost caveat, I suppose, of what I'm going to say. It's about learning who you are and what's important to you. I find, generalizing massively here, but I find men have a voice on everything. Men feel like they need to have a voice on everything. I don't know if that's the stomach in terms of how they feel that they should present. And I don't. But that doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion or that I'm getting overtalked. It just means that actually there are some things that I just think, I'm not sweating that. I'm Someone once said to me, don't fight all the battles, fight war. And I, that's really stuck in me. And in our boardroom, sometimes there's conversations flying around. And I just think, I don't feel the need to get involved here. Like, you go. And, like, I'm going to take a break or think about something else. Mm-hmm. Whilst you're doing that. So I think there's a little bit of work out what it is that you actually want. How do you want to present? How do you want to be heard? And I think once you've done that, the... F- the fight against your own lack of confidence and imposter syndrome or whatever word you want to put around it becomes a little bit easier because you actually know what you're really fighting for as opposed to fighting for something that you think you should be. I definitely fell into that camp. I, When I first went into more leadership roles, it's about having a voice, fighting all the time and always speaking up and always kind of almost contradicting what was being said. And now I just feel like I actually, sometimes you've just got to let things go and you might not agree with it 100%. But ultimately, in the greatest schemes of things, it's still fine. It fits within the purpose and what you're trying to do. But I feel more confident when I at, when I do feel very strongly about something, that when I do say something really strongly, the board listens because it's mm. not like fighting on everything. I'm equally really lucky. I have a phenomenally supportive board around me and male allies around me. And I think allyship is another really big thing. Don't feel like you can do it all on your own. You can't. Well, I certainly can't. You've mm. got to have guys, you've got to have friends, you've got to have people that when you're trying to get something through or you're trying to convince or influence or change decisions in some way, you've got to make sure that you're trying to use all of your allies and your networks around you to get that through. You don't have to do everything always on your own all the time. Interesting. Um, yeah. With HR itself, I've been told this before that your industry is almost a gateway to what's going to happen in six to 12 months time. I don't know whether you've heard that, but I hear that from, from other people. I've always wondered why there must have been a temptation. You have a lot of firms who have a HR practice and that, if done well, is a really good fillip for the other practice areas, like a gateway for other areas, if it's done well. It's always been interesting how not many firms have really taken hold of HR and become a specialist in that area. But I find within HR, more often than not, a lot of the consultants tend to go on site in-house, as in sharks. And it happens, it happens so much in your space. I suppose it's a credit to your firm. It means that you're doing a great job. But where do you see your biggest concerns, be it competitors, setting up their own business, burnout, or losing them on site within HR? Because I always found HR is the one area, probably one in five, one in six, a lot of them do. Or I often get asked about, oh, do you have anything? And I always put it back on them. Well, you should know that more than me because you're obviously working with your clients. Have you had that conversation? Genuinely, it's, it's like... So I just wanted to ask you, as someone who's been within HR for a long time, where are your concerns with employees and what could happen in that space? Yeah, lots of people go in-house or on-site. HR is a very relationship-driven industry and therefore you get good relationship with your clients and they're going to poach you, right? It's to your point. It's what should happen if you're doing the job correctly. 
So most people go in-house. And I think, is that a symptom of burnout? Potentially. I think that the sales piece, it, you always, looking COVID, the amount of people that left from quite insular, but the amount of people that left the HR industry to go in-house. And then the amount of calls we got when the market was booming for them to come back out of in-house and go back into agency kind of speaks to itself in the sense of you're going in-house when actually sales is really hard. When it becomes a little bit easier, no saying sales is easy, then actually you want to kind of come back on the the maybe more lucrative side of the recruitment world, shall I say. That, that's so interesting. <laughs> that, the, the clock turns when the going is good. Yeah. That's a, there used to be that thought of if you don't like BD or sales, it's yes, you'll get a higher base. You, you won't earn as much if you're a successful recruiter, but it will be an easier life. Is that still the perception? Or I always think that's a bit, yeah, it's so easy to say that, but I, I can imagine it's very difficult being on site with certain clients. You tell me as in the differences between a consultant role and working in-house within HR. Yeah, well, look, I've never worked in-house, but I've placed many of them. I definitely think it's the perception. I agree with you, it's not the truth in any way, shape or yeah. form. I mean, your stakeholders are literally, you work there. with them every single day. And whilst they might not be standing at your desk every day, which is probably what I would have said pre-COVID, they're still definitely there. And I, the piece that we find a lot of where people are saying they've gone in-house a lot of people like going in-house because they work for one brand. They feel like you can really get passionate about that one brand and they yeah. can really get behind it. And all. I understand that. I think that is a valid point. They then come out going, oh my gosh, there is so much process. There's so much red tape. I have to write reports and everybody I want to hire. I have to jump through hoops of ATS systems and data and all the rest of it. So look, there's pros and cons of every side. I am delighted that we've lost a lot of people in-house that come back to us and they're our clients now. And it's brilliant. Whilst I, no one wants to be losing people, equally if it's not the right job for them. And recruitment house isn't for everybody. And there no. is a time in your life when it's not right anymore. Well, let's support you. And we place quite a few people that have just said, actually, you know what, I'm done. And I think yeah. that's a great environment to have. And I yeah. really appreciate them. Yeah. Makes sense. I've often, I think that industries have so many different businesses who tend to pop up here and there within HR. There's always been four or five mainstays who've dominated the market and maybe individuals who go alone and have a lifestyle business or work solo. And that's it. It's always been a very niche area, I find. Very important area, but there's always been a real standouts in that sector. So compared to others, we just have yeah, fly-by-nights coming and going every day of the week. And I think, how do you, I've always want, wanted to know, I'm sure sometimes when you lose people on site, if you handle it well, they also become a really trusted client and could use them in future. It's, I can imagine that. But are you often, is there an issue with headhunting from your clients? Because you're always, after, after you recruit someone for a role, do they then often become your client in effect? That's what I'm trying to ask for an HR. If you're placing HR people, they need to hire. Then do they come back to you and use you again? Is that how it works? Am I completely wrong? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We, we talk about when we hire into HR, candidates are clients and clients are candidates. We don't have either. They're kind of coming yes. We all go into yeah, yeah. kind of melting pot which people find very difficult. It's a sell to bring people into HR recruitment because they're, oh, it must be so easy. Everybody I talk yeah. to is going to be fine. But actually the reality of how you work that population to get the best out of both sides, it's a skill that you need to learn. So people do find that quite hard. But yeah, you're right. I mean, no one really in my head now and don't know I'm, I'm long in the tooth in terms of HR recruitment. I think everyone's just a customer. They could be anything. I When I pick up the phone to people, I've got no idea whether they're giving me a role or whether they're wanting to look for a role. It could be either. Yeah. Lots of times it's actually like, yeah. And what, what agreement do you have with the client? Let, all I'm thinking is, let's say you place someone, you, they become your client, you, you hire for them. 
Then after yeah. a year and a half, they come back to you and say, look, my tenure's done here. I've got frustrations left, right, and center. But personally, what I say to clients is, look, I'm not going to go behind their back and tell you, but what I will do is get them to speak to you first about their frustrations. And if it cannot be sorted and they come back to me then, then I will represent the candidate. That's how I work. And I've had recruitment then say to me, we want you to tell us if someone comes to you from our firm that you've placed because we want to do something about it and we don't want them to. I said, no, that, that's, I'm not going to do that. But I just want to understand. Reputation. Yeah, I, like, I don't represent you and care to confidentiality. I'm, I, yeah, so I just so want to understand. Difficult. So many people adopt it differently and, be, and I'm sure it happens more often than not with the HR. So I was just wondering about your approach to that because it can be quite delicate, can it? Trusted client that you place somewhere and then they come back to you. How do you tend to handle it, Amy? Yeah, very similar to you, really. I think it's just making sure that you're representing both parties in a respectful manner. Yeah. And yeah, giving everybody the right to own their own career and their own lives. And if a client, candidate, if you place a candidate in, into a client and it's not working, whilst we'll endeavor to make sure it does work in terms of coaching, but sometimes it's just not the right fit. And that's just, yeah, well said. I would never breach confidence. I think that's the porno one. Yeah. And to me, I just, I would feel distinctly uncomfortable about doing it but there are ways that you can influence people to have a conversation or if you can't have a conversation with this person how about you have a conversation with this person let me coach you through how you do that etc etc yeah but i think it's i think if you do it respectfully and if someone's going to hold it against me from a client perspective because i've looked after a candidate correctly i, I think there we yeah. well. Yeah. Definitely. It's such a kind of grey area. And in many cases, it's where recruiters lose their reputation and that it creates that stigma, doesn't it? I think I, I know because we're, we're short of time. I'm really, I know that a lot of people will be listening to this and they will watch your podcast and they'll look at your LinkedIn profile and they'll see your progression and they'll think to themselves, even people who are working for you now, how do I do that? How do I keep growing my career and progress? Because I speak to people every day. They like, how do I progress? Why aren't I getting the progression? So as someone who's done it, what's the best advice you can give to someone who wants to progress in their recruitment career? I think we've actually done something recently internally um, where we've done everyone's quote mech life, but recruitment life is actually something that was suggested by one of our consultants in the business. And this was a question that was asked and I did it the other month. So it's, it's a quite humbling almost experience to think about. For me, take risks is a really big part of it. And admit failure and learn from it. I think that's, don't feel like you always have to go into the role where you know you will succeed because I think that is quite career limiting. And make sure you're really clear on what you're trying to get to and the reasons why. Loads of people say to me, I want to be a director, I want to be this, I want to be that, why? And then they have nothing underneath it. And I'm like, well, how on earth are you going to get there if you don't know the reasons as to why you want to get there? Getting somewhere because of a job title won't get you anywhere, in my opinion, or certainly won't get you anywhere sustainably, in my opinion. So if you know why you want to get somewhere, the route that you take becomes a lot clearer. And you might take sideways moves financially, sideways moves hierarchically, and do projects that you might be reporting to somebody more junior. But actually what it's doing is giving you that breadth of visibility and network and allyship to be able to then build yourself up. I, if you look at my earnings over my career, they weren't pretty in, in the right way if people are wanting to earn more all the time. But actually, I know what I was doing. There was a plan behind it. I was really clear on the reasons as to why I was taking certain jobs and why I was taking certain risks. And I think I was able to articulate why I wanted the next job. I've never been 
that bothered about job title. I've been bothered about the job. I've been bothered. Well said. Uh, I love that. I mean, did you always have a plan to progress to director, managing director level? And if you didn't, when did that materialize at Oakley? Yeah, this is a question that I ask in my podcast and I'm not. (laughs) Get back on you. You're like, oh gosh. I think I always, my my mum and dad have said, you always said you want to be a manager. And I've just kind of, I'm going to be a manager. God knows what I was going to be a manager or. I think there was always something in me that wanted to lead people. I get a real buzz from seeing people develop, seeing people transition. And I always said, I'd rather have a team that does two million than do half a million myself. It was always a bigger picture piece. So I think that was innate in me a little bit. As to whether I wanted to be the MD at Oakleaf, I don't think it was quite as clear as that. But probably after I started to get into senior leadership roles at Oakleaf, I was really clear that I really wanted I just wanted more and more exposure to higher and higher level conversations as mm-hmm. opposed to I want to be the MD. Yeah. So it was more around making sure I was in front of the right people, having the right conversations, learning. I, I have a real passion for learning things, sitting down with RFD, explain everything about the PL. I want to understand it. What are the levers? If we do that, if we do that, what does that mean? I get a real buzz from doing that and being mm. exposed by people. And so I think that's, Probably more of the drives than the job title. I love what you said about the, you, you either have the, nothing against them, people want to earn as much as they can and, and go down the billing route, or but seeing people develop and improve just from your mentorship it is so, you get so much out of it, don't you? And so people do that for free. People get, get it's like, Susanna, we talk about it, helping people and seeing them improve is a great motivator for yourself beyond anything financial. And yeah. yeah. Massively. I've got senior managers and directors reporting to me now that were consultants when I first joined and yeah. the transition that they've made. And they're now doing that transition with other people. And it's phenomenal. It really is. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. I find them I find them way more inspiring than anything I can ever offer because you you see them do it. You don't see yes, yourself yeah. do something, but to see somebody transition like that and do that in the background of life. And yeah, yeah. They get married, they have kids, they have parents that pass away, they relocate, they have, and other things that go on as well that aren't necessarily always quite so hard. And, and it's really amazing to see people adapt as humans and kind of become something that you probably, more than ever, they ever thought that they could be. So yeah, I, I and to, Whilst, don't get me wrong, I do like getting a salary every month, so I certainly wouldn't do it for free all the time. But I agree, it's better than the pay packet, really seeing mm, that. I notice, um, sorry. I, I notice, just looking at leaders and speaking to them on a daily basis, that the ones that stand out and the ones that keep their staff are all those things that you just mentioned, which is the curiosity, but also the humility of knowing when they've got it wrong and asking for feedback and in my opinion, you mentioned the why. Those are the reasons that someone should want to do it, to always learn more and not just to have that title. And there's a huge difference there in the caliber of leaders that you speak to. And yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, I love the way that you have a thirst for the knowledge and you, you go, you have a curious mind and it's a growth mindset. And it, I've spoken to Susanna about this. You meet with, and I don't want to generalize, but I am going to, as soon as I say that, I'm going to generalize. You meet with middle managers and they learn nothing because it's like, you also meet with middle managers and it's like, well, how can you help me? And they spin off the same story that they've said to 15 other X and you meet with people 
like yourselves, and they spend the whole time with you, finding out about you and your background, and you kind of leave the gun. What a nice guy! And you're like, actually, I, like, and you're like, you really want to work with them, and but they've kind of turned the tables on you, and they're they're in that mindset there to kind of take something from the meeting, and that's how you develop. And it, it is ignorance, and it's very easy to slip into that mindset of, oh, here we go again, and what am I going to learn from this? But you stop growing that. I think you having that, you, it, it, more people like you in that business, that creates a, a great culture. And when you see that the wheel turn, people that you've developed from the data, all of a sudden they're developing people underneath them to be like them, you're getting something very right. Rather than, and, and I always see it on LinkedIn, you know, how to hire great people. I, I don't think it's anything to do with hiring great people. It's create, creating that internal infrastructure to enable the average person to become great. That's yeah, more so important. True. So true. Yeah. Most people are great. It's just about making sure you're giving them the right platform to be able to be yeah. themselves. And I think that's a really big thing for me. It's about people being able to do it in their way within a framework of respect and culture of the organization. Yes, but actually, like recruitment, people buy from people. I don't care what USPs you have on the wall or <laughs> lovely, sexy brochures we have. They are an aids, yes. But fundamentally, people buy off people because they trust them and they think that they have an interest in their business, as you said, or that they understand what they're trying to do. And you can't sell if you're not authentic. You no. have to be able to be yourself. And it's quite scary sometimes to do that. So I think it's about creating those areas or managers who can develop individuals to be individuals and not just blanket approach everybody. Because everybody mm. has to do things differently. And you have to do things differently at different stages of your life. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Oh my gosh, I'm like literally like lighting up inside here. So, 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 Susanna, Susanna, you, you do that, Susanna, you do that. You're always asking, what's your thoughts on this? And I should do it more because you're always asking. Even though I always say, well, what's your thoughts? And then 98% of the time, you're right. But you're always looking to see what other people think because you're not that you're second guessing yourself, but you're just seeking a surety and validating. But, 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 it's, but it's quite mature, like, like, as in, and, and it's a really good thing to do. Yeah. People who- yeah, no, you had a quote this week, and I can't remember what it was. And it's very similar to what Amy was saying just now about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. And what were you saying? Yeah. It was really it was spot on. I was probably reading it on Google Quotes, and I was speaking at the time, and just <laughs> popped up, so I don't remember it. No, no, look, I, yeah, you, I don't know, something cheesy about yeah, if you're if you can do something. If it doesn't make you nervous and you don't get that, that, that really nervous energy before anxiety, whatever you want to call it, you're not growing. You're not growing. And I think we, we talked about our first podcast together. I was quite, I was nervous. And I was like, the second one, you kind of just, oh, we're just going to have a chat. And if it's terrible, he's going to edit it anyway. So it's fine. And, but it's really good to put yourself in those situations. And also you've said to me, I'm nervous about this. I said, good. That, that's what we're here for. We can all sit in our bedroom and do Zoom videos all day long, but if we're going to stretch ourselves, I mean, what you're doing, Susanna, now with the podcast, a lot of people do, wouldn't do that. Oh, right? same with Amy. I think it's, yeah, it's, I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all been there for the first episode. We're all like, we all get the nerves. And it's, it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, yeah I, I just, you got you to stretch yourself. And coming back to what I, Amy said, I just think you, you meet so many people who just think they've read the recruitment book on hiring and people. And come work for us because we're the best for these three reasons and all the rest of whatever. It does work in graduates, so badly enough. It does. 
Yeah. And it's like, take this role or else we'll withdraw it. And, and companies still do that. But with experienced recruiters, we, which hopefully tend to hire, I think people see through it now, the old, the old tactics. You talked about authenticity. And to me, it's vulnerability, it's having the courage to show your true self, which is usually courageous. And, and but people endear themselves to that without yeah. a doubt, oh, without yeah. a doubt. Um, so I, I had a chap on interview recently. He actually went for breakfast with a client yesterday morning, Amy. And the client actually said to him, because he said, look, who else are you interviewing? And he mentioned Corn Ferry and he mentioned a couple of the other search firms, Odgers was one. And he said, why are you meeting with these types of firms? He said, well, when I go to pitch for retained work, if I'm losing out, it's, it tends to be to those type of clients. I said, great. Okay. Anything else? And he's like, no, like just to understand what they're doing is fair enough. He said, well, we... We operate at this level, which is a rung under. We have real challenges within our practice area and we've been losing pitches partner level, but this is why we want to hire you. And he came out of there and he said, Luke, it's funny, my, my whole thought process on this interview, you know, when I was meeting with these different companies is who's working at the highest average fee and who's winning all the work. But now I see the real opportunity and they want me in the lead role and I feel I can back myself and, he's, and he thinks I'm that person. I'm like, so hang on, they're losing pitches and they're working at a lower level, but you're actually more interested in this business because they've actually been true to who they are and they've talked about what they've not done. He's like, actually, I can work with this. It's interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I just thought that was- It is and I actually it on its head. I, I, yeah, but I said to the client after it, I said, you have really turned it on its head here. And he said, well, it's the truth. I said, I know that everyone's trying to, it's a fashion parade, isn't it? As to, as to roll them out. And- I don't know what will happen, but we'll see. They've given him the opportunity to put his stance on something and develop something in the way that he wants to develop and have an impact and have a, as opposed to sitting into a mold. And I think that is one of the most attractive things that anyone could offer anybody, isn't it? In your own job. As it, it, completely, completely. And, and it was quite funny. You try and prepare the client beforehand. We're like, he's meeting with these. And so he, just listened, he just listened to me. He said, thanks, Luke. He said, did the opposite to what you said. Yeah. yeah. I said, don't listen to me again. It actually worked. So, so, so yeah, there you go. It disrupted so, everyone. I should have actually called him and said, look, you just say that you're losing every pitch and all that. I'm going to do that now. I actually change, do, do the opposite and see what happens. So, so yeah. But and something. But it comes back to what you talked about originally, being yourself and actually talking about where you're at. But more importantly, what they said, this is where we see you and this is where, this is why we need someone like you. And yeah, I think. Having that about you, both as a business and as a candidate, is hugely important. There are attributes in a business and a candidate, I agree. And we do, you know what I'm going to say, we have to wrap up. (laughs) We could talk to you all day, literally. We could get you around for a round two. But thank you so much for coming on and giving us your wisdom. I literally feel like I want to watch this episode again right now. But how can anyone who's listening to this get hold of you, follow you, reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is probably the easiest route. So Amy Morris, it's just on LinkedIn. Just follow, send me a note. Happy to speak to anybody that wants to have a further chat with the back of anything that we've spoken about. Amazing. Amy, great to talk to you. Uh, thanks for your time. I enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, please leave us a five-star review. We continually try to get the top billers in the world of recruitment to help you increase your billings, be a top commission earner, and most importantly, live your most rewarding life. You can find out about new roles on my Instagram at Susanna Chime Search 
And you can find me on LinkedIn or join the Chime Searches page to get all of the latest recruitment updates and tips. Thank you for listening.